on this film. Levitated by the human touch. Antonio's galloping forward, here's the pass. Antonio's through, chance to fall, what a goal! What a brilliant strike by Mikhail Antonio! Hello and welcome to another edition of the Knees Up Mother Brown West Ham podcast. Joining me on the pod to love shine a light as ever are your headliners. Making your mind up is Jack Elderton and a puppet on a string is Callum Goodall. Don't worry, you can save all your kisses for me. And that, my friends, is a raft of Eurovision references, in case you weren't quite sure. <laughs> I was <laughs> trying to work kiss. it out. Oh, that was good fun. You just one. leave it as a riddle every week. Like You've got to yeah. work out what the references come <laughs> the problem from. The is you never solve them. <laughs> right. Well, it's two games this week, although it's just one, isn't it, really? Because I'm, I'm sure it was a, it was a boom, bang, a bang. 4-0 at Carrow Road, but the end of the European adventure, uh, for this season at least, um, with that painful loss in Frankfurt, which we will go through in minute detail, I am sure. If you would like to get in touch, all correspondence can be sent to us on Twitter, at KUMB Pod. Well, that's Neil Poir for me, but gentlemen, we are on to Norwich, and it's hard to discuss. It's a game that I described as the most boring of the season, which is a bit of a luxury when you win 4-0, but there was there was no contest in it, Cal, was it? It just wasn't a contest. No, it was, yeah, you're definitely right. Well, not boring in the sense of there was no goals, like you say, but it was just no competition. But I think it's exactly what we needed after the sort of bit of blow on Thursday night. I think a bit of light relief, something that I didn't really have to be too invested in, as opposed to on Thursday, where I was literally every second was so intensely staring at the screen, hoping for something to happen. Um, so, yeah, it was just kind of, a nice way to spend a Sunday afternoon, just just watching some what was essentially a training routine. Uh, so yeah, but, but a pleasing end to a disappointing few days that felt like one of the worst hangovers ever. <laughs> certainly, yeah. I mean, I suppose fans of preseason friendlies might have enjoyed that game because it's kind of what it felt like, wasn't it? Um, uh, fans of preseason friendlies, get in touch. Who are you? I'd like <laughs> <yeah>. to know. <laughs> Who are you? Why are you? <laughs> yeah, I mean, easy easy that's the thing jack i mean it must have been it's not one to look back at and take a load of tactical lessons from i imagine <laughs> oh, i've been doing the review uh this evening and done the first half i'm gonna do the second half tonight um but i can probably put it on two times speed for the second half because it's just watching the ball ping around between our midfield and and norwich doing absolutely nothing um so yeah very little of analytical value here um there are a couple of things to talk about um, which we'll go on to now with with Lanzini's positioning and, and sort of the development of our midfield and our approach to these games, um, which has come a long way, I think, over the last two seasons. And I think that's evidenced by such a comfortable win. But, um, you know, in reality, when you come up against a team that has got virtually no semblance of idea at all of how they want to defend, um, or really, and what's most disappointing, I think, if you're a Norwich fan or any commitment, to, to what vague ideas they might have about how they want to defend uh, from the players. Uh, it makes it quite easy, frankly. And, and 4-0, I think, in the end, was probably pretty kind to Norwich. It, it could quite easily have been a lot more than that. Well, I, I'd love to know the XG on that Bowen chance that he managed to miss. <laughs> I mean, it was impressive how far wide he managed to miss <laughs> that chance as well, considering how close to Cole 
He was. I, mean, I do feel right. for him a bit because if he doesn't get into the England squad, there's going to be all those sort of like Twitter analysts like me who come out and go, but look, yeah, you see, look, his XG differential, yeah. you know, <laughs> has taken an absolute bump, massive chunk out of that with that one chance. So. Yeah, there's a 0.9 or something like that, surely on that. I mean, you're 0. right. 0.66. Yeah, there you go, huge. There you go. <laughs> I feel like I'd score that more than two thirds of the time, but then, you know, probably not. We're not getting there, are we? Um, you're right about Norwich. They, they looked a team devoid of any sort of um, ideas, which is a real shame for them because they've come up and failed in the past, but they've had a philosophy. They've had a kind of idea of what they're trying to do. And it's just a bit depressing for them that they've the worst they've got the less of an idea they seem to be clinging to as well. Well, they had an identity, didn't they, under Farker? They don't seem to have that at all under Smith. You know, whoever decided that they could play this season with uh, Grant Hanley, Ben Gibson and Tim Krull as the starting back three, as the core of your side, um, is not just deluded, but is actually just demented because that's so far away from a Premier League competitive defensive core. Um, bit of a glutton for punishment. I think you've got up there and you go, well, this will be a laugh. I'll put three of my worst players in this track. Yeah, it's just <laughs> one last thing to do. An experiment. Um, it's interesting as well, because obviously a, a wasted year, you'd think, for Billy Gilmore. And that brings me to small, diminutive central midfielders and Manuel Lanzini, um, mm-hmm. who well played. got, got oh, thank you, got a, um, a run out in a kind of deep position, which some people have been talking about. Um, and, I suppose, Jack, this is a chance for you to make a point about that without clever lines and boxes of text, I suppose, which are such yeah. a big deal. And see if you can do it with real words. Um, Cheers, mate. Um, well, we spoke about this last week, didn't we? We spoke about this on the pod last week about Lanzini's mm-hmm. um, role within the squad and where we see him going and his issues at 10. And um, it's entirely unsurprising to see him move back to eight and have a much more impactful performance um, from from that position and much more impactful on us as an attacking unit. Um, from that position, something that you might not necessarily directly assume. You'd think if he plays at 10, he's going to have more impact on the final third, but he actually had more impact from a deeper position, which is unsurprising with him. His, his real ability, um, I think as we spoke about last week is, is triggering, uh, dangerous moves with short passes that break the lines. Or in fact, in the Norwich game, which is not something we always see from Lanzini because he's not got the dynamism. And I think that speaks to just how bad Norwich are. Um, but two of the chances were created from him dribbling, um, through, the first layer of the press, if you can even call it that. Um, so uh, a, a good performance, but uh, still with the same the same issues. Um, when he is in those deeper areas, he makes uh, a significant number of defensive errors. Um, and there was a sort of pretty clear parallel for me between the performances of Lanzini and Gilmore um, in that, both enabled each other to do what they did on the ball by being so defensively naive. Uh, the difference is, is that Lanzini is an infinitely better player with infinitely better players ahead of him. So when Lanzini did get those opportunities due to Gilmore's mistakes, we scored. Whereas when Gilmore got those opportunities, thanks to Lanzini, he either didn't create something or he did. And the players ahead of him didn't then finish that opportunity. Um, so, and that's why it's an issue really going forward. And I think, that the best solution would be for us to look for someone who can combine some of Lanzini's skill set and being able to break a press or being able to um, 
play those short forward passes that's, that trigger moves um, and be able to slot them in alongside Rice for, for certain games. I think Suchek has a huge amount of utility for us next season. I think definitely don't agree with the people suggesting that, you know, we should look to move him on. Um, but I think by adding uh, an extra member of that unit who is at that kind of level um, into the sort of eight area of our team would, would really help us moving forward. I suppose it's where those those issues remain. You, you've often talked to us uh, about scanning and stuff like that. I suppose, Cal, if you think of Lanzini's mistakes defensively, they aren't howlers. They aren't standout highlight-type catching mistakes, are they? They're those, you, that's that missing that runner who 10 seconds later has arrived in the box. It's those kind of, I think if Tottenham in the cup, I think is one of those where they, yeah. they'd have those runners in and he just wasn't following. And that's the kind of stuff he's not... Almost Chelsea. Chelsea, Chelsea, Chelsea. The, Chelsea. The last yeah. late goal at Chelsea is exactly the same. Well, I think it's just a consequence of well a product I suppose of him moving into this deeper position at such a late point in his career like these are the sorts of things that you learn in the academy if you're learning to be an eight or or a six or whatever and they're sort of ingrained in you from the youth and the fact that he's spent the majority of his career playing as a 10 these are the sort of things that he's never really had to concern himself with because he's always had at least two midfielders behind him who are going to do the scanning for him. And he, he just sort of has to go and press ahead and any overcommitments that he makes in the 10 position aren't really going to be punished. So it's never been something that he's had to learn. So now we're asking him to essentially learn a new position, um, which is difficult for anyone really. But I think we've seen throughout the course of the season that he just doesn't sort of have that spatial awareness off the ball, um, at least in defence. I think in attack, he actually, bizarrely, he does have quite good spatial awareness in that he's he's really good at finding space really in pockets. Really strong spatial awareness, yeah. Um, so, uh, but it, it's, two, it's two completely different sort of skills in that sense, even though they sound similar. Um, but I think it's understandable that we ask him to play this game because more than anyone, I think he, as Jack's rightly pointed out, there's, he's probably the best equipped person in the team to make those sort of short passes and keep things ticking over in the middle, especially in these games where we're going to be afforded a lot of uh, possession. Uh, I think we had 65% against Norwich, which is of normally high for us or a team that doesn't really like to have possession. We don't enjoy being in that, in that much possession, um, but having someone of his ability who is constantly averaging sort of 96% pass completion rate just to keep things ticking over and letting people move. And he's quite comfortable to hold onto the ball while everyone moves around him and rotates and then he'll happily find the man in those sorts of games I think he does have utility moving forward as that eight but like you say against stronger opposition and I mean stronger in terms of quality but also in terms of physicality um, he's there's too much of a drop off and whilst Norwich aren't going to punish you because they've got quite a lightweight midfield that don't have a great deal of skill um, against I don't know a a Chelsea or someone like that you are going to get punished and if you don't scan someone's going to run in and and punish you for it so I think essentially a squad player to keep around but Jack's right to to point out that it's an area of recruitment that we definitely have to to look at next and season. That's the valid point of all these. Is it's, these are kind of criticism, almost constructive criticisms, but not to say that he's shit, basically, and not to say that yeah. he's of use to us. I mean, uh, the problem is he he needs to be of use to us in the game, so it suits him and as an option rather than being always, yeah. And almost I think come to a point we've been re- forced to have to play him in the ten because we don't really trust our options. Yeah, and I think it's really. Uh, it's more sort of pressing now than it has been because it's fair to say like against Norwich we don't really need him to be that good defensively in this eight position but we've got we saw a week ago now maybe it was two weeks against we've got teams like Arsenal who are now willing to just give us possession but they're teams that have the quality to punish you 
when we do make those mistakes that because usually you'd expect i don't know like a burnley or someone to sit off in a low block and just let you have the ball all the time or, or in action that's fine but if teams are sort of working us out now that we we when we have the ball we don't really look to know what we're doing with it when we're playing against a well-structured defense or when we're playing against a really well-organized midfield so if that's going to become more of a habit or, or sort of uh, a common occurrence against better opposition then we're going to need to find an eight that when that does happen against the likes of an Arsenal or a Spurs for example who obviously sat off against Liverpool and Klopp was clearly very unhappy if we're going to get teams come along and set up like that against us we need an eight who can do both because it's not it's not enough to just have Lanzini in there to keep things ticking over if then on the counter they're going to punch us. It's interesting because you talk about um, what we do with our midfield and how we would supplement it and how we possibly the option of Suchek rather than being maybe entirely reliant on it. If you were to look to, and it's, I know it's not really related to this point, but if you were to look to say bring in a player, and I'll use well-known names because it's easier for me, let alone listeners. Um, but if you're bringing in say a Phillips who's off the name is going on and I realism about that regardless, whatever, a Basuma or even a, a camera or Kamara I don't know how you say it, the one the Marseille player um, if you're bringing one of those in would you would you think we could go to a midfield three where we either have a, one specific holder whether that's Rice or one of the others and have those kind of two further forward ones or more of a Liverpool three do you, could you see that as something we could do without that kind of specific 10 who, who, who's who's slotting into the three in your head? That's the important question. I suppose if I, I'm thinking of, could we bring in the right type of player regardless of who it is? Would you, uh, another holder or someone to sit alongside Suchek and Rice is behind those two? Could you I see that? I think I would be massively set? keen on a three that contained yeah. Rice, Suchek and another six or eight. I think that's a little bit too, that doesn't have enough going forward. And yeah. actually you end up sitting Rice who would, very likely be the one of the three who has the carrying ability to to operate in one of the eight roles because he mm. would be the most competent in the six role. Yeah. Um, so I wouldn't be keen on that uh, as a system using all three. What I would be keen on is that as a system using two of the three with that additional eight. Yeah. I wouldn't use Suchek in the four three three shape. I think you could use. I mean, I put a tweet up the other day that I asked everyone to ignore but it was you know using a 4-4-2 shape that would very easily transition into a three with a bunch of players that I think we you know Cal and I have looked at over time Melvin Bard being one Calvin Phillips being another uh, Braylon Bolo um, Mohamed Salisu players that would slot into that kind yeah. of structure very well and and I think that would potentially get the best out of someone like Pablo Fornals as well who's got a lot to offer in in that sort of starting as a winger nominally um, in, in that sort of four-four-two block defensive shape, um, but then doing a lot of work as sort of a third midfielder in in a, in a three that maybe contains a rice and someone like a Phillips. Yeah. That's interesting. That's just, yeah. It's just it's part of that kind of things that's been discussed. I mean, you give me an ideal name. I'm still stuck on. I'd love James Ward Prowse, but it's all sure. about that balance, I suppose. Um, Bowen then is the other one who's who. Had a really good game. I mean, aside from the obvious, very big miss, and he's had a kind of he's come back from that injury and returned reasonably well to the form that he was holding before. Um, getting involved there is he is he kind of going back to where he was in that peak? Do you think just showing that that's something that's going to carry on hopefully to next year? I mean, his levels at the moment are absurd, aren't they? I mean, he's he's playing some of his best football um, recently. I think just even in the in the two Frankfurt ties, we weren't particularly good as a, as a unit, but he was brilliant in, in, in both games. And um, his development over the course of the season has been really impressive. I think we saw quite a lot early in the season of, of 
perhaps he was a little bit more spotty and we didn't really know how to use him as well as we do now. He's never really been someone that is going to have a an impact across 90 minutes of a game by being constantly involved. Um, but what, what he does have is that sort of exceptional ability to receive the ball on the right-hand side or inside the sort of half space um, and dribble back and then round and inside and open the space for others and see if I can go beyond. And we found, a, we started to find, as we've got deeper into the season, better ways to use that. So to use him in general play and then also get the best out of him in that sort of final third where he, where he has just constantly been in the right place at the right time this season and scoring goals. Um, and, and, and like in the Norwich game, just getting assists, you know, finding the correct final ball, right amount of weight on it and, and finding teammates in good areas. So, um, I think it's a combination of his development as a player, but also our development as a team and us knowing how to, to utilize him better and get him more involved across 90 minutes. Um, but his form at the moment is exceptional. It's interesting, well, because we look at um, kind of part of what he's doing down the wing and you talked about so far on the overlap. Do you think, Cal, that he gets better for having so far on there because you can trust what's coming down that wing as an attacking option? Yeah, a hundred percent. It just gives him another outball, really. If you've got the overlap, it's rather than just sort of having to look inwards all the time, he can look inwards. And if he's not making any inroads, then he can look back out. And even if it's not to progress the ball, he knows that Suval's not going to be far away. Even if he has to go back, he then can knock it back inside and open up some other angles. And then Bowen can use his movement to to find a, a more um, dangerous position further up and then start the play again and I think yeah I think if, if Sufal carries on on this trajectory who also is another player who's mm. had a bit of a nasty injury and is, there was question marks about whether he'd come back uh, to the form that we saw and he for me he absolutely has and long may it continue and I think this partnership on that right side is one that could really blossom and develop into something seriously dangerous next year. Yeah. Um, the last individual performance I want to think of is Ben Rama, who's ended up with two goals. And I think we're all doing the caveat. It, it almost like they don't <laughs> goals, almost like goals don't count as much against Norwich. Uh, do, is there a is there a kind of a place for him as as one of those players who can bully poor teams so that you don't end up slipping up against those teams because he's got the quality to beat a bad left back and maybe create space, whereas maybe Fornells doesn't beat a man like that. Does that? Do you understand yeah. what I'm getting at by that? Yeah, no, yeah, yes, no, absolutely. It makes perfect that's, sense. That is, that's got to be his role going forward. He's got, he's well, got that's why to... we signed him, isn't it? He thrived yeah. playing against that sort of level of opposition. And I hate hate being that guy. It's like, oh, Ben Rom's found his level, but it kind of has. Like He's either that guy who, if he's going to start a game, it needs to be against someone, either just with weak fullbacks. They don't have to be a terrible team, but they could just have a bad fullback that we think Ben Rom can get the best of. Or coming on off the bench as a sort of, added dynamism which we saw against Frankfurt um in the first leg was it was that the right game when he came off the bench and just spread him and pinned him back and he's he's done it on numerous severe, occasions yeah, yeah. and yeah severe as well so I think yeah he's he's no he's not a starter for me definitely not I know he is for some people and yes probably talking about it after the game he just had isn't the best time to suggest that but I still don't think he had the best game ever it's easy to mask over some of the errors that he made um, because he scored two goals albeit one of them against any other team is not a goal because what quite what Tim Krull was doing I'm not sure (laughs) I'm not here to just crap on Ben Rama but yeah I think that's his role I've seen 
such sort of a polarized opinion around him on Twitter of some that are pushing for him to start and others that are saying sell in the summer. And I think I'm kind of in the middle. I, I think we do probably, if we're going to push for now into the 10, then we probably do want a new left winger. But I don't think I want Ben Rama to go either because you still need a backup left winger. And I think as backup left wingers go, he's, he's pretty good as, as an impact sub as well. So much like Lanzini, he's, he's not a starter, but I think he still has enough utility to keep him around the squad, particularly if we're going to be touch wood in another European competition next season. The one thing we've complained about all season is how little depth we've got and how much that's impacted us. So the notion of just now selling off sort of peripheral figures just seems daft really. Yeah, I can't, I can't, I can't find an argument for selling anyone basically who's played even five percent of the game. Yeah. It's really kind yeah. of, I mean, we are we're running on empty as it is. I don't know what I don't know what you want to gamble on it. I mean, Maswaku and Fredericks, I can and you know Crowl, I can understand not really had an impact on the season, but even even Benny, I mean, actually no, Benny had quite a positive impact. He had a really good start as well, but. Yeah, we don't have a squad to get rid of the no. squad players we do have. I think the key thing with Ben Rama is 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 more can you get away with the defensive mistakes he's going to make? It's and and you know his defensive mistakes extend to, in two different ways. I mean, in the Norwich game, it was he quite easily let Dow go past him on the outside two or three times in the first half, and you know Kieran Dow's not a player with blistering pace. Um, so to, to, to be getting done on the outside by Kieran Dow is a, a little bit disappointing to say the least. And then also it's, it's things like it's a moment in the Norwich game, which kind of just sums up the issues with Ben Rama and, and, and why it's a problem against better opposition, even though he's going to score goals it is, um, comes out from a corner. He's the player who receives the ball on the edge of the box. He thinks about having a shot, faints, doesn't have the shot, dribbles off to the right side of the pitch, doesn't find someone to pass to. And instead of just turning around and passing the ball backwards, he tries to nutmeg the bloke pressing him, loses the ball and creates a four on two counter. And it's like, that's the kind of thing that against Norwich, yeah, you can get away with. But if you did that against any of the teams above 14th in the league, that's a goal. So... It's that moment in the Frankfurt game where he escaped between two and hit the post and... His fans are thinking, like, that shot was incredible. It smacked the side of the post. And his distractors are thinking, he was so close to losing that ball to two men who would have counted on our very weak defence. Yeah. And that is, I suppose, the kind of, that is the quandary of Ben Rama, really. Is this, but you this, need, this I think you need, a, you need players like that. You yeah. need players who have got that kind of, uh, the talent to have moments like that, but are going to expose you in, in other situations. And, and, and that kind of uh, Jekyll and Hyde nature to, mm. to, to a creative um, but not Rick super reliable um, attacking player is fantastically useful when you're losing a game and you can bring him off the bench and fantastically useful against teams who are not going to punish you. So, you know, he's a, he's a useful member of the squad. And while, we're, while we're on the league and as a kind of a link between this and Frankfurt, I mean, it looks... <laughs> it's, it's very difficult for me to say this completely because... As you may know, I don't, I don't, I don't augur well to positivity, and I don't, I don't trust that if I say something, it won't punish me for it. As my Twitter feed has been all weekend, um, but we're we're pretty close to European football again next season. Uh, we're very close to European football again next yeah. season. Yeah, we <laughs> yeah. I mean, was about as close as we could be without having it. But um, yes, I mean, I suppose the possibility is that actually, rather than looking backwards and looking beneath us to Wolves. Because um, Brighton now can't. It's, I suppose it's looking up to Manchester United. Do either of you feel like we're going to claim sixth? I personally don't. I think we've got a shot. 
I think we're in with a chance. And I, like we said before the pod, I can see Palace um, beating United. Palace have proven they're a good side this season. They're not messing about and they'll want to finish the season on a high. Um, and I imagine a lot of the United players won't really care. They'll just want the season to be over because, quite frankly, I know they're going to have something to play for, but I, they've had something to play for all season and they haven't turned up. So I, I wouldn't be that confident. I'm not, but, even, look, um, I'm not even looking at the United game. I'm looking at the City game. You think uh, we'd be yeah. City and then beating Brighton? Yeah, well, I think, I'm not, I don't, no, sorry, I don't think that's going to happen. I think as a squad now, it's in our hands. And I think that's the message yeah. you've got to give the players. Yeah. You know, yeah. you've got to be saying all week this week, it's in our hands. Win the two games, we qualify for the Europa League. That's it. Two games. And there's added motivation, isn't there? I mean, it's Noble's last game at home. What a way to finish your career at West Ham is to leapfrog Man United and claim Europa one more time. What yeah, a way to bow out. I think you've got to not look at it as Man City and our bogey team. You've got to mm. look at it as two football matches in the Premier League, two matches that we win and get Europa League football next season. And I think there's a real yeah. drive within the squad to do that. I think we, I think Norwich has helped massively move uh, the yeah. emotion in the camp from yeah. incredible disappointment to we need to get back there next next That's year. That's the and point, I actually, think, isn't it? If we win both, our goal difference is way better, isn't it? So because, yeah, of nil, because, of the, because of the 4-0, because of the 4-0, it is now totally in our hands because Man, Man United are not going to beat Palace 5-0. So, yeah. Um, I think we've got we've got a real shot at that, um, and I think the thing that really helps is also whether this is entirely true. It's probably just my own biases in a way, but I think there is a is a kind of acceptance from players like Rice and Bowen, maybe the best players in the squad. We're probably not get, getting away in the summer um, because long contracts, huge fees involved, and actually the World Cups in the winter. And we mm-hmm. need to be playing, we need to be settled and playing week in, week yeah. out somewhere to make sure we get in that England squad. So with those two players very likely staying for next season, I think, because of that, um, they will be desperate to get us back into the Europa League next season. If you get those two at full pelt over two games, City have lost Ruben Diaz um, in the in the Newcastle game. I think there's a, it's a very small chance. Of course, it's a very small chance, but I think we have to look at it as a, a serious opportunity to qualify. If, if ever there's going to be a time that Antonio is going to bully their defence, it'll be with the players they've got out. And they've got, there's players out everywhere, isn't there? I mean, Walker won't be there. Stones won't be there. Diaz won't be there. Yeah. So yeah, there's a chance. Um, funny we've beaten them I'm, already this season. We have. I, uh-huh. yeah, funny. Well, I'm really confident we'll keep Rice this summer, which is quite surprising for me, but I just don't see it happening at all. So yeah, you add those things in the emotional kind of tie of it. The fact it's the last home game of the season anyway, and we'll have had a, a, a free week. Whereas I think city played tomorrow or play yeah. this week at some point. So yeah, yeah, exactly. Have a go. Why not? Yeah. And hopefully that'll be two years of Europa league on the bounce. And we won't have to have a section next year where we depressingly talk about a semi-final defeat that, Hurts us, but that's where we're moving on to now. It's time to discuss that second leg and the end of the European adventure. Um, it all, oh, the best played, less laid, the best laid plans of mice and men is the phrase I couldn't get out there. It looked kind of started quite well. We looked like we had an idea. It looked like we were going to have a certain level of control of the game. Um, maybe still not perfect, but we looked certainly didn't have the the shocker that we started last week. When there was an attacking mode there uh, regardless of kind of a passageway to win and then there was a big red card um which kind of <laughs> burst every every bubble floating around um but i know you were very very frustrated jack with how we started 
what looked to me well what looked to me from your explanations to be fair to be almost the same <laughs> mistaken shape from the week before um yeah yeah, yeah we utilized exactly the same mistaken shape shape from the, um, the week before not mistaken sheep that would be a bit weird um but no <laughs> the we, Belshidim's coming out <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh flying out all of a sudden no um I, I i just would really disagree with what you were saying about the strength of our start i thought we started really badly really? um i think we played far too direct um i think we we very rare uh, very regularly cut completely cut out the midfield uh barely played the ball through the center of the pitch at all uh lanzini i don't think was involved in the game one bit um i mean he came off after the red card and he barely had any impact on the game whatsoever because we did not pass the ball about at all in midfield um so i just thought it was really bad i thought we i I could understand what we were doing we were looking to try and hit the space either uh either side of hinteregger in behind um and dicker or tutor both being so aggressive and we spoke about that length in in the previous podcast how they aggressively press with their lateral center backs um but we just kind of it was just an odd shape and system because you had too many numbers at the back and then not enough numbers in attack. And then you were punting the ball forward for kind of Antonio to run himself ragged into the channels, which we weren't then actually creating anything <laughs> off of. Uh, so I can kind of understand. I mean, when I watched it the first time round, I was like, oh, this is this is quite a good start. It's quite stable. We we're like, livelier. There was something more life, life to us. Yeah, there's yeah. more life to us. But strategically, um, we that that tactically that wasn't actually leading to any kind of opportunities and um and it was just going to knacker us out and we weren't i mean i think the really the key thing for me is there were several opportunities where balls were on into the middle of the pitch where they are under understaffed frankfurt just generally because of their system play three four three so it's just road and so in there and we always ignored them um, you know, if it's Rice or Suchek in space in the middle of the pitch, just completely ignored it and it Cresswell who, or whoever will just punt it um, into the space in behind. So I wasn't really massively impressed with that at all. Um, and then systemically, for, 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 for all the reasons that we're about to go into it, it, the same, you know, problems tactically then cause the red card. As we talked about this kind of last week, didn't we? And it was so so starkly highlighted by the major moments in the game but two weeks in a row now i mean the first the first goal in the the first leg was so clearly from it and the second goal i mean the red card sorry in the second leg again so clearly comes from something we've done wrong in the way we've been set up yeah yeah exactly that i think frankfurt showed across both ties exactly what they do really well um Cal spoke about it at length about their sort of rotations in in attack and how good they are at that. Um, and it's a very simple move, really. I mean, it's, that's what's so frustrating about it. And we had several warnings as well in the game before the red card. The, the red card is actually the third time they run the same move uh, where Bori drops off of the attacking line. Kamada receives the ball deep. And you've basically got Dawson doing absolutely nothing because he can't, because there's no one to, to mark, there's no one to cover for Dawson, uh, because his player is receiving the ball in sort of defensive midfield or in central midfield, and he doesn't, he's not comfortable stepping all the way out there and becoming an extra midfielder. Which is fine, isn't it? That is fine. He's not, you wouldn't expect him to just go run up and do that. No, I wouldn't expect, he's not a dicker or tutor. He's not like the Frankfurt defenders 
which is why they play this bloody system because they've got defenders who are happy charging out into the midfield who are good at turning the ball over in those areas and then have the ability on the deck to, to find teammates with, with uh, passes along the ground. You know, Dawson's long passing is brilliant. He's not got, he's not blessed with loads of pace uh, to, to get there and then get back. And he's also, you know, if he turned the ball over, I wouldn't trust him to then dribble past someone and, and play a pass to a teammate. Whereas Indicker and Tutor have got the ability to do that. Yeah. Um, so it is fine that, that he can't do that. He couldn't follow uh, Kamada all the way in, but then you've kind of got Zuma then following Bori as he drops in and, um, and Hogue just flying into the, it's fair, you know, we see this a lot in the Premier League with Spurs this season with Kane yeah. dropping in and Son going beyond. It's an f- effective move. It's incredibly simple. Um, and, you know, if you're Frankfurt and you look at the lineup and you say, well, Cresswell's isolated at left centre back. Let's just like, you know, make, make it create situations where he's one V one defensively and having to run towards his own goal. And that's what they did. Um, and it's the third one that leads to the red card. It's the third time they've done this where Dawson's left to mark no one in, in no man's land. Uh, Boris dropped in and zoom has gone with, and then Cresswell's basically playing center back on his own against a player who is twice as quick as him. Um, and already moving at full pelt when the ball's played over the top. So I suppose the two things I really want to ask, I suppose, are in that moment, what we could do differently individually, and yep. then the difference with a, if a different approach, which I assume would have been a kind of a more standard four, mm-hmm. and how that would, would affect it. I think I can answer my own question on the four, but I don't really individually on the, on the move where it could have worked if we'd just done the right things, I guess. I think that's I think that's largely about Zuma and Cresswell. Um, so I think you know Zuma probably needs to be uh, Zuma can in that situation just pass Bori off into the midfield. You know, there's a communication to, the, to to someone like Declan Rice and say I'm not following that. I can't leave Cresswell here with Hogue. Um, <clears throat> and then with Cresswell, I mean, it's just ludicrous, isn't it, to try and to try and get in front and, and clear the ball when all he needs to do is just stay goal side. Uh, then he puts himself in a horrible position. And, and then I do feel from a little bit because he hasn't thought about it. It's just instinct that, oh shit, uh, let me grab onto you. And then as soon as he does it, he, you can see him see straight away. No, yeah. I don't want to grab onto you. Sorry. Uh, he lets go I, immediately. It's yeah. like a split second of a hold. Like that's a flashback. He's one of those for me where I, I think it's a red card by the rules and I don't think it's a red card by the spirit of the you play football. But yeah, unfortunately, I you have to exist that. in the law because I really feel for him because they're both they are tussling and they're both jockeying for position, and it's always like, well, you're the last man, and also I don't think Horger is or whatever you say his name is. Um, I don't think he's desperate to stay on his feet either. I think he knows to some extent oh, yeah, exactly. what he's got. Um, so I do kind of it's a little way where it's six of one half dozen of the other until it isn't, and unfortunately, it in rather than just going, well, it's kind of it is a foul, so you need to be booked and we need to punish you. The rules are you have to be sent off and you have to be sent off, and that is just what it is. Yeah, it's a definite red card by the yeah. laws, so and that's just how it how it is. So I think individually that I mean to be honest, they're not obviously it's a massive individual error from um Cresswell, but from everyone else, there's not really much you can ask of with the individuals to do anything differently. Structurally, you know, the problems are there and they're being exploited well. So So I presume I presume with a four for four the whole point would have been Crespo's further wide, Zoom is there, there's an extra man in midfield, they're doing all that job, your centre-back is dealing with it. it. Well, exactly. When Kamada drops off and you've got a four, no one needs to follow that. Yeah. You've got Dawson mm-hmm. and Zuma as the two. One of them goes with Bori and the other one stays or they just both stay and the four drops off. Yeah. And, and, and most likely with how West Ham defend, 
the both stay and the four just yeah. drop off and you just squash the space in behind to disallow the ball over the top. So, and that's the point really. And that's the big point I wanted to make. And, and, and it's about defensive principles. We have a way of defending that works yeah. for the personnel we have, which is drop off and squash the space in behind to not allow balls over the top. Cause really we haven't got massively quick defenders. Um, so to ask them to play in a system which doesn't allow them to drop off and squash the space in behind and actually ask them to be incredibly proactive, make, really bold decisions and you're asking craig bloody dawson to do this I mean, <laughs> this is where you get the guy who played for watford you know and, and that's the that's the issue for me is it, management i sa- said this during the game management is about maximizing the strengths of your players and minimizing or masking the weaknesses and I, the system we played just maximized all of the issues that those defenders have and you would say that the, the principle of moise's success at west ham has pretty much been hiding weaknesses I'm yeah, sure exactly. He's done it very yeah. good with players like I mean, Craig Dawson's obviously the perfect example. Yeah, because yeah. there is I a think, very good player in there until you I think take him out of the things what, he could do. What was especially frustrating from my point of view as well is that it, this is coming off the back of a quarterfinal in which we squashed the space in behind extremely well, and Craig Dawson won an award last night for a man of the match performance in which he did exactly that, and that's the reason we were able to play Frankfurt and get through is because we set up in a system that really complemented that and we played to our strengths rather than trying to twist our system to suit, not to suit them, but to try and match up with them and play something we're not confident in playing. Like the, the reason we've become such a good team and we've done so well in the league and in the Europa is because we found a system that works for us. And rather than, there obviously always has to be a level of adaptability. And, and we said, we talked about that before going into the game and the sort of adaptations that we should make, but adopting a whole new system when you have a system that you play well in is just, ill-advised and silly really like it's I don't think it was a lack of confidence I think it was just a poor decision making from Moyes but we should have had faith in our ability to play in our own shape because it served us so well and it was just disappointing to see us sort of kilo is not the right word but <laughs> sort of just give in to their strengths I guess it's, it's, it's interesting because I don't think I can remember another game where I would expect to see our defensive line so high in that situation because the ball was actually it wasn't deep. It was kind of 10 yards into their half, 20 yards into their half, maybe. Yeah. And we're 10 yards from the halfway line. Yeah. Uh, kind of with a defense that never is never there. And Zuma yeah. he's running after someone in a way that I don't think I can remember him doing except for a few days prior to Eddie and Ketia. Yeah. And it, it stood out there as being quite weird what he was doing in a way. Well, I think maybe you look back at the Arsenal thing now and say that that's about a maintenance of those defensive principles so that we could develop some kind of confidence with them over the course of three games, one against Frankfurt, one against Arsenal, mm. then the second one against Frankfurt. Just didn't work. I mean, and the, and the, the way, the time it worked best was when we did it with a bloody four against Arsenal. You know, doing it with a five didn't work. I think it's important. A couple of things I think they're important to mention here. One is the reason we played a, a, a five against Frankfurt, and this is something that's recurred throughout the season, is that when teams set up with a five against us, we generally prefer to go to a five. And the reason mm-hmm. we do that is because we're, Moyes, I think, is generally quite cautious of conceding that amount of space uh, mm-hmm. at wide, um, particularly against Frankfurt, because with Kostic and Knauf, they've got real pace. Uh, and if you're caught narrow, they could hit 
a, a, a long ball from deep that, that hits that space in behind. The problem is, is that going to the five and defending in the way that we did didn't actually resolve that issue because the situation that happened is exactly the situation we were trying to avoid Probably by changing the system. What it did is it just moved those the areas they could attack from being out wide to being in the middle of the pitch instead. So you've got three defenders who are defending that area less effectively than two would. Um, and the problem also with what we did with going to a five is you take out a, a member of your pressing team or your counter pressing team. And you really see that with Daichi Kamada having the time to receive the ball and judge a ball over the top. Um, whereas if you have four players in the back line and an extra man in your attack or in your midfield, Suchek and Bowen, when they get into that position with Kamada and Kamada's got the ball, neither of them can actually go and press. The, the, the ball actively, mm. what they've got to do. Suchek's got to stand in a position to not allow Kamada to go beyond him because then he exposes the defence and Bowen's got to stop him from passing inwards. What that means is because you've only got two rather than three, you haven't got actually anyone who can go and engage the ball carrier. Um, and if you have someone that can go and engage the ball carrier, then you stop the supply. And the way we, def- we, the way we chose to defend against Frankfurt, though I've talked about the proactive elements of how the backline works, were mu- was much more cautious and reactive and saying, these are your strengths and these are how we are going to defend against your strengths. We're going to let you play the ball into the wide zones and then we're going to stop you once you get there. What I would have done differently and what I believe we should have done differently is say, we're not going to let you get the ball into the wide zones. We're going to stop the supply. We're going to stop you from being able to get the ball out of deep midfield areas. I said it in in the preview road. So these players don't necessarily have, they, they have wonderful progressive ability when you sit off them and give them loads of time on the ball. But if you hurry them, not sure what they've got. They've not got, you know, brilliant dynamism individually to dribble beyond you none of them have got exceptional sort of pace in that area um and mm. then that all of that's up the other end of the pitch so i think it was much more about let's play of you know uh a, well four allows you to do it but it's not so much let's play a four it's just let's play a strategy or implement a strategy that attacks them more and is more aggressive off the ball than we were um and then you know this is without even engaging things like you have to play four nows in this absurd left wing back slash left midfield slash attacking midfield role, which requires a ridiculous level of concentration and intelligence. And you're asking Lanzini to play a, a, a left forward role that doesn't allow him to operate in those deep areas and dictate possession. So you're just taking away from a lot of what your players do really well and effectively leave yourself with this very one-dimensional plan of Antonio's really big and quick. Let's hit the ball into the channel and put in 1v1 against defenders, which is just a limp and weak plan compared to the whole, you know, breadth of different th- ways we can threaten when we set up in a better way to maximise our strengths. I'm just, I'm thinking, you know, one facet of this team that's been quite impressive has been actually we defend the wins very well using the likes of Fournals and Bowen, who may be less so this year, but certainly the year before, I mean, I mean, actually, I remember from early in the season at Villa, the highlight on match of the day wasn't really, look how good Bowen is on the ball. It's, look how fast he's got back to defend that mm-hmm. win. Is the problem with doing that with the players we've got, if we had Bowen and Fournals almost pinned back marking two players who then we're not using against the fullbacks either, we don't have the attacking dynamism if they've pinned us back because Lanzini isn't really a 10. And so we don't have the players to both cover the wings using that kind of 4 5 one shape, but also spring an attack with that middle part because we don't have a proper dynamic 
10. I mean, I suppose the question is, if we had Jesse Lingard, could we have just had Sean Ellis <laughs> and Jared Bowen as, as kind of classically wide like we had been a year before? Yes, but you potentially get your... So, so what you're describing is a potential situation which I'm sure the coaching staff would have looked at, whereas if where you if you play a 4-5-1 kind of defensive mm. shape, then you potentially get pinned back so deep you've effectively got six rather than five. Yeah. So it's yeah. even worse than playing starting with a five. Yeah. What I would have done would have been set up with a 4-2-3-1 that transitioned into a 5-4-1. So instead of having a situation where you've got three central midfielders across the middle, so four, then three in the middle and two wide players who are yeah. covering the fullbacks, you have one that drops into the defensive line for now and Lanzini, instead of coming into the middle of the pitch, moves out to the left of the pitch. So when you're defending, you're in a set 5-4-1 shape that very easily, once you win the ball, Cresswell moves back out to the left back Um Fornals pushes on into left midfield and Lanzini just moves into the centre of the pitch. And then you've got plenty of central options to then pass to and a 3v2 in midfield. And you've got outnumber them in central midfield to play on the deck and through them, transition the ball on the ground quickly, um, rather than, you know, having to ping the ball away over the top, which you would then have to have someone like Jesse Lingard to play that Mm. 4-5-1 system, hit Antonio and look for someone dynamic who can then go beyond. Um, I mean, it's one of those, it's really weird where you come away from that game and actually you, the thing that the players deserve the most is credit for what they did. A, not just on the journey. And we will talk about the whole journey and the, how long and great this European run has been, but actually the effort they put in, in that game to, to really not, not get blown away, Cal, I guess. I don't, I don't want to say they were the better team, this or that, and they created chances, but actually they worked for the whole 90 minutes to really put everything they could out there when they kind of had the excuse not to be at 10 men really yeah 100 percent. it's admirable effort that they put in after the red it would have been quite easy to fold over as well and i think that's a testament to the character of the squad that moise has built is they're built of stronger stuff like squads of seasons gone by would have would have just said go on have have your fun score a few goals and just just waited until the final whistle but we kept going if anything i think our performance actually got got better after the road personally um i don't know whether that's just a case of us being energized or because we had to go into <laughs> four at the back shape that, that clearly works a lot better um but yeah it was brilliant um i mean all of our expected goal threat came after the red uh and that's the red also ushered on frankfurt to press us a lot harder they didn't actually press anywhere near as, as hard as aggressively as they usually do at the start of the game i suppose because it was still a fairly evenly balanced tie and they didn't want to maybe overcommit like they do uh, generally. Uh, also, they were that, just terrible in the first 15 minutes of the game. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but as soon as that red came on, they, they really cranked it up and in gradual increments throughout the game as well. It wasn't one of those where it was intense and then towards the end they dip off. Like it went up, I think it started after the red at like nine PPDA of nine so that's nine passes before defensive action uh, was sparked and then it went up to eight and then seven and it just kept going and going and going like consistently grinding the gears and we didn't we didn't pale to that we we dealt with it really well actually played through it quite nicely at times um, which is again testament to the team because Frankfurt are, are, well a lot of German teams are renowned for pressing but Frankfurt especially have been good this season uh, under Glasner Um and yeah, I, th- I thought it was great. I think it's a bit of a double-edged sword because it was an admirable performance, like I've said, but it also, at the end, you couldn't help leaving feeling if we did have 11 and we played that well with 10, that there was a game there to to be won. And, and I don't, I don't want to take it back towards a sour, sour tone, but it did feel as though coming away from it, the game was there 
there to be taken um, because I, I really don't think they were that good. And I think we we looked really good with 10 men. And, and, well, like I say, Lord knows what would have happened if Crest stayed on for the full uh, night. It was, it, was, it was about 10 years until I stopped either changing the channel or fast-forwarding every time that Stephen Gerrard volley came on TV after the cup final. Uh, that and, I mean, thanks for bringing me back into that mindset of uh, what could have been. Uh, yeah, there'll be therapists making money off it, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I suppose the game, and what did change the game is they got, what was about six, seven minutes later, they got the goal that it was very deflating. I think everyone knew that it was it was just too much, really, at that point, more than likely. And it was a goal that I suppose it felt, from what you've described to me, very, very Frankfurt. That ball got cut back further than, say, Craig Dawson was expecting it to cut back. And he got sold by a, a classic case of one run for you, one run for me, really. And Boy gives him the... And then he stops. And they... There was nothing, nothing. It was hard to kind of think of anybody getting back after that. Yeah, I mean, the goal killed the tie um, very effectively for Frankfurt. It allowed them to slightly change the way that they were playing. Um, they could slow things right down, force us to chase the ball a lot more, tire us out better. Uh, and that's why the second half performance was so impressive, is because they did slow it down and they forced us to chase so for such long periods and so hard. And the fact that we maintained our energy levels throughout the entire 90 was what the thing that was ridiculously impressive. And we were the team pushing towards the, the end of the game. We weren't the team, you know, at 80 minutes, of, you know, we're fucked now out of energy. And then the second comes, we still were the team pushing right, you know, t- till the last whistle. And that's what was so brilliant about it. The goal is will will be a frustrating one for everyone involved. It is because it comes from just a little bit of naivety, in that we wanted to really prove that we were still in it. So we were just over eager to press. Um, so when the ball comes back out after an attack, everyone just sort of rushes out um, and the midfield just gets caught too far away from the defence. Um, so it's just easy to pop a ball um, in behind them and it, it leaves Johnson exposed. So he has to make an overcommitment and then Zuma has to come across and then that leaves the 1v1 Dawson Bory in the box. And Bory, like you said, does a very good job of, of selling a dummy run actually someone I think we should keep an eye on because stylistically he's a he's yeah. quite a good fit um, annoyingly he was a, f- a free agent in the summer as yeah, well I think he was on your list yeah. wasn't he I think you said last week yeah. I mean, he, he did I mean there's there's a there are there are similarities between the kind of I suppose parts of their play and parts of our play in, in very also in very different ways at the yeah. same time yeah. they kind of like they don't ask Bore to do a, the same job as Antonio but there's a reasonably similar job yeah, in terms of how almost the the attitude of the striker, I guess, mm. um, almost as if you know, those days of a striker being a goal scorer and that being their job is kind of gone with these teams, where you have to be a whole unit to create um, and to optimize what you're doing. And actually, I think uh, it's it's partly that stuff stuff that I've said in, uh, uh, loads of times in this podcast, but you know, a change in attitude from your striker just being someone that can hang around in the box and score yeah. goals, but now is a key defender and and the most important person in terms of dictating how your entire team defends. And I, I, I want I want to go on to that point to give credit to Mikel Antonio, who, yeah. considering has been had a, a season, basically said, "Look, you're, he's not better finish. He can't finish games. He can't finish a season. He's on his own. He's too tired." where he got the energy levels <laughs> to still be doing very intense Michael Antonio things until the very end. In fact, more than he, it, it, it kind of almost pays a bit of credence to the theory that at the end of games, he starts to save his energy a bit because he kept, kept going. And that's why he was my man of the match, regardless almost of kind of some of the better individual performances on the ball, because he just, 
put himself through it to, and what he did gave us a threat i guess almost made up that man because he was quite herculean yeah well exactly he, he did the two players running the rest of them are sitting in a 4-4 shape the same that they would be doing when the in a, in a 4-4-2 antonio was doing the job of two people at the top end of the pitch at the beginning after the red when i say at the beginning i mean after the red card between the red card and the and the and half time i mean he really struggled with that um and was a bit all over the place um but after getting in at half time, and I think there was just a bit of a clearer idea about how we wanted to defend. Wanted to defend. I mean, they had 15 minutes to, to recover and also talk to, to the team about how to how to operate in that shape and and what we needed from Antonio. And Antonio, I think you could see sort of after the red card was a sort of half saving himself in defensive situations to say, "I need to have the energy to then go and make this run when we get the ball." Um, and then much more in the second half, you see him chasing everything and then creating yeah. the situations for himself to then go and attack. And um, he had a couple of really, really nice moments out on the flanks where, where he beat his man and got good balls into the box. Um, and his second half performance kind of epitomised that um, what we've seen from the squad all season, which is the level of commitment to each other um, and to the club to, to, that's got us um, as far as we've gone. Yeah, that is, That's part of why this team is one of the more likeable West Ham teams I could remember, especially in modern history, yeah. Cal. And it's yeah, why this journey is so good. And it's why, I mean, if you look back on the journey of this, I keep saying journey, it feels like one of those buzzwords you get in football journalism nowadays. The journey mm-hmm. is, part of, is part of a project and it's part of our philosophy. Um, <laughs> it's, it's all of it football cliches at times. Um, but it's been a hell of a run. It's been unreal. It's been great. I think, I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say two seasons ago, I was bordering on depressed being a West Ham fan. Like It was horrible and I would never have imagined that we would have had like if you'd have said to me in that season where there was obviously people getting on the pitch and all the chaos and all the GSB out stuff and that that really built up into the Führer and the club was a horrible place to be. It wasn't. It wasn't. I didn't enjoy going to games, it, which is not how any football club should be. That should be the highlight of the week. Um, and now this season, it really was. Those those Thursday night games were were the highlight of the week. They'd, they'd get me through the week most of the time. Like it, it was brilliant. Just being able to be there, sort of, it was so pleasing to to witness such a positive atmosphere at the stadium as well after some really dark days. And the, I've never heard anything like it at the London Stadium. And and I hope that's not going to be the last time I hear it. And it certainly won't be with European football still on the cards. But um, yeah, it was just really something obviously not proud to be a part of it in the sense that I didn't actually play. So how much proud can I actually feel, but proud to be a part of the club and proud to see us heading back in that positive direction and, and really eager about, about what's to come. Um, yeah, it's, it's just been great and maybe more expensive than my bank balance would have liked, but, <laughs> but you know, these, these days don't happen very often. So you'd pride, be a fool pride, to miss is, it. pride is definitely the word. I think, I think the fact that we turned it into a competition, that people didn't see as a side competition, didn't see it as just a, ch- a Champions League qualification uh, competition as well. I mean, it's it's why you should always appreciate a cup run because fans love a cup. I think mm-hmm. you'll be you'd all. I think you'd find more West Ham fans who'd rather win the FA Cup than the Premier League in a way because of that kind of intensity and that tradition and emotion yeah. behind a cup run. Um, and I suppose it's the same as Deck. You wanted to win it for for Nobles, but seeing Mark Noble playing knockout European competition to see Mark Noble score a European goal feels a little bit silly but when you're about to see kind of a club icon like that retire those emotional ties um 
what what kind of keep you going to a club, Jack? It's weird in that respect. It's, it was sometimes quite odd to talk about emotion of football, but you got that from the Europa League campaign. I want to go too twee here, but um, <laughs> but, but yeah, I, I mean, I, just more generally, I think this this season has been such a joy because um, it's it's been a long time since West Ham sort of had that ability to make you forget yourself in 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 moments, and there have been a number of those this season. Severe was just brilliant. That's you know one of those moments where you yeah. just stop. You, you exist within this box as a, as a supporter of a, of a team like West Ham, where you think you can only go so far. Um, and there's been a few moments this season. I think that the win over Liverpool was actually another one for me, where you just suddenly think, "God, we could do anything here." You know, mm-hmm. we we could we could you know with Severe it was we could win the Europa League and Leon away similar effect and and. Um, and with uh, the Liverpool game, that was the first time I thought, oh, bloody hell, we could be top four competitive. In fact, we might be better than Chelsea. You know, we yeah. could go here as a run for the third place uh, team in the league. So, you know, and, and that's been just such a joy. It's something, you know, and for me, as a younger fan of West Ham, I mean, I've been going since, what, 2006. And my memories really are from sort of 2008, 2009 onwards. But in that period, we've had so few moments as a, as a, as a club um, that have felt like that. And, you know, we, that's in a, in a broader way, it's the, that's the whole thing about the move, isn't it? We, we kind of agreed to the move. There wasn't the big protest movement about around the move because there was this desperation to have that kind of hope, those kind of moments where you do forget yourself and you think we could achieve anything. And it's been sorely lacking since we went there and there's been, there's huge problems with it. Um, but it's a, it's a relief in many ways to have the, you know, a few of those moments for the first time since the move, a few of those moments where you do genuinely forget, you know, this is what we can achieve as West Ham. And you start to think we could, we could do anything. I'd just, just like to apologise now that we didn't put a content warning on this podcast for listeners over the age of 20 who have had to see a man wear, see someone wearing a Kevin Keegan shirt that they weren't alive to uh, even see the incident that the T-shirt has on it, talking about first going to West Ham around 2006. It hurt me and I, 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 I wasn't sure if I still count as a young West Ham fan when you were talking about Chris, that. Chris, 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 this is probably going to go out as an audio only podcast, so you're going to have to explain to them. <laughs> going to go. if you if you remember everyone will remember and you, you'd love to see it you'd love to see this t-shirt as well it's kevin keegan's infamous uh-huh. post-match rant headphones fully on it's that picture i love it if we beat them love it i don't know what accent kevin keegan's got but it's fine it's nor it's some sort of northern and that's all that matters <laughs> wherever he's from it's from north of yeah. me um but yes, that is the young person talking about their memories of 2006. And I apologise to anyone over the age of 33, which is my age, um, <laughs> for the mild pain that will have caused you, maybe in your lower back at this age. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but yeah, no, I get it. It's, it's um, funny enough, there's a, a part that once said to me, the only time they'd seen me truly happy was in Hobbiton in um, New Zealand, where I, my smile was constant and genuine. And I think I had that same feeling post severe where you just couldn't get over how yeah. big a deal that was i i mean you two have normal uh, viewpoints on life to the extent that you expect you know good things and bad things to happen possibly in a kind of equal measure whereas imagine me who went to that severe <laughs> game thinking this is going to be one of the worst nights of my life <laughs> uh, 
and you get those moments and i think that's what cups and european especially and you really get to appreciate as european games for something a bit different for these countries that take football and take these competitions seriously because they're not got six four to six mega billionaire yeah. clubs above them as well shutting doors to all competitions suddenly we're in a competition where it felt like we were playing teams like us yeah we belong there i think yeah. is what it felt like we didn't it would have been easy i think again coming from where we came from to feel kind of out of place in a competition like that with these big european uh elite clubs like leon have a rich history severe obviously the european Euro- europa league team <laughs> and it didn't feel like we were out of place. It felt like we were there and it felt like we should be there next season and every season going forward. It, it felt like we were an established outfit, even though we we hadn't been there for, for a very long time uh, or even in the discussion, frankly. And and yeah, I think long may it continue. And I think as well, you were right to mention that sort of us taking pride in, in being there. I think some big clubs snub their like turn their noses up at Europa League they don't want it and I think looking to next season one of the reasons I'm so excited uh even by the Conference League is that I think West Ham as a fan base uh, we're not like that we wouldn't we won't be playing rotated teams even in the Conference League because we just appreciate the fact that we've come so far I think that's what makes those nights so special and everyone singing and stuff it's not like a formality that we're going to be there we feel lucky to be there and we we enjoy every minute and I think that's that's what's so great about it and then also just from the nerdy perspective it's great to see little European players play play football that I never get to see I get to see some of these statistical metric data darlings live in the flesh which is it's just perfect well, I, I, what I was going to finish on, and I, I'll finish on a, a bit of homework, I guess, for you for next week. We've just we were talking about those awards, and we're going to probably do our own podcast um, awards show based, kind of loosely tied in, or in some way tied in with the knees up, Mother Brown one, which um, is up in the air of what, how they're going to do that this year. It could be quite exciting and interesting the way they do it, but I'll leave that for the boss to go into. Um, um, but the, we did we've talked about individual performances, and the club gave it to Craig Dawson um, for his performance against Leon, and I'll give you both a week to pick one pick two if that's your favorite you can tell me that's your favorite but pick a different one and if anyone wants to tweet us and let them know they can be read out and just get involved so uh, at KUMB pod on twitter a good good selection to be interesting to see because actually i i don't know at the top of my head what i'd have picked and it's easy now to think oh it's dawson one at leon but that's you know a bit of recency bias as well and also the fact that i've got an awful memory so anything in the past mm-hmm. month sticks in my head um but yeah do do tweet us we'll, we'll discuss that next week i'll give the, the lads a bit of time because usually i don't give them any time to think about things um so i thought i'd be charitable and we will well we'll recommence next week emotional tears in our eyes and discuss discuss that discuss mark noble's uh, last home game as a west ham player and where we are ahead of the last game of the season in terms of europe um, but until then, we shall see you next time. Goodbye. Right, so we're here in the offices of a late late show with the host of a late late show, James Corden. Hi. Big West Ham fan. Yes. <laughs> and big knees up, Mother Brown man. Yeah. Yeah, I'm regularly on the general discussion page. There's always someone who's got some information, so I love it. Yeah, yeah. it's great. Yes, it's Find excitement it. surrounded by imminent disappointment. <laughs> that's what it. That's what it mostly is. Get on the forum at kumb.com come on you irons <laughs> <laughs>